0: All right. How's everybody? Good, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, right? We may as well go there. If we're going to go to the old hymns, we may as well go to the old sayings, right? (laughs) Yeah, that was the West Virginia version. That wasn't the Ohio version that I used to hear where I got saved, but it's all good because it was the words that mattered. Amen? And uh, in case you're not sharp, you probably, most of you figured out what we're going to be talking about tonight, I hope. Guess. Wrong. Thank you. A plus. Take it to God in prayer. Same thing you did. Everything. Here, I'll tell you what, if you was going to entitle this, if I was, here's what I would entitle it. Forfeited peace and needless pain. Because that's in the verses. If you look, oh, what peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Right? And you know what? I know the last time I filled in, I spoke on prayer, and it was kind of in a different vein. It was out of 1 John 5, 14, and 15. But I really felt extremely impressed that this is this is the direction God wanted me to go. And that was the song that just came to me, I told him in the office, some of you some year olds probably never heard of that song. <laughs> but you know what? It's a, it is an oldie but a goodie. The words are incredible. I didn't even know there were so many stanzas to it until I had my wife print it off for me today. I thought, wow, I didn't hear all them. I just knew the first couple. But that was the ones I wanted. So here's, here's what we're going to talk about. Is how about prayer as preventive maintenance? That, that could be another heading that we would turn. Preventative maintenance. We all hopefully know what that is. Is That's when you take your car to get an oil change every 3,000 miles or every 5,000 if you use synthetic. You, you want to do oil changes because back in the day when this song was, there used to be a commercial on TV, a mechanic that would say, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Remember that? If you're over 50, you remember that. And what he's talking about is you can pay me now for an oil change or you can pay me later on down the road for a brand new motor. Okay. And so, you know what? I kind of coined off of that to spiritually apply. You can pray now or pay later. And it's the truth. Guys, I'm so convinced of the words of that song that, oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we don't carry it to God in prayer. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure, right? Well, how many of you figured out an ounce of prayer is easier than a pound of problems? Amen? It really is. And, and so many times, I think, we, we, the devil gets us away from our roots, okay? And gets us away from our prayer roots for different reasons, okay? And we'll, we'll talk about briefly what those are but before we do that i want to just lead out with this opening scripture verse one of my favorite of the whole bible and maybe some of yours proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all of your heart don't lean to your own understanding in all your ways how many how many is all ain't no more it's it includes it all in everything acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, how many of us, if we was honest, would have to plead guilty? (laughs) All of us, every single one in here, because some of us do better than others, but I guarantee you, I don't think there's anybody in here that's perfect, because God ain't had nobody perfect working for him yet. And so the thing about it is, though, is I just want to encourage and exhort us to just come to remembrance of the importance of prayer so important and the devil how many of you know anything important he's going to do his best shot he's going to work overtime he's going to give you his best shot to get you off of that base amen Amen. and and that's what I want to just mention is and I, I did this last time I preached just mentioned real briefly some reasons why don't people pray and I'm going to hit them real real fast I'm going to give you four, and I'm sure there's many more, but one of the reasons, you know why we don't pray is pride, because you know what pride is? Pride is thinking you're all that and then some, and you don't need no help. Sometimes us men are a little more prone to that than women, you know, because we got to be macho men, right? That's why there's probably more women Christians than there are men. You ever notice that? Go to any church attendance, and I'll bet you if we did a count tonight, there's more women here than men. And wanna tell you something? I think that's got a lot to do with it. Is a lot of men and women, because of pride, won't bow their knee to Jesus, won't call out to God in prayer, because they can handle it. Right? Another reason, you want me to tell you one other reason why people don't pray? Because the devil's gotten us to the point where we really don't believe that prayer works like the Bible said it will. And that's kind of what I preached on last time, is this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask, see if you don't ask, forget it all. Because ain't none of it applies. You have not, why? Because you ask not. You see, just like Jesus told the guy with the daughter that was dead, he said, you know what, fear not, only believe. Sound familiar? Only believe ministries. It's simple. You don't have to complicate it. Just don't fear and believe only. And I want to add to that. Ask. So all you got to do is ask. It doesn't have to be in King James Version. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It don't have to be long. All you got to do is just ask. Because when you ask, guess who you release? God. And I said in the last message, as soon as the words leave your lips and hit the ears of God, conception has taken place. You got to get that in your heart. Conception is when? Immediate. As soon as there's a connection, it's immediate conception. And that's the way prayer is. As soon as our prayers leave our mouth and hit God's ears, which is how fast? Quicker than the sound of light. (laughs) Okay, guess what? It's conceived. Now you just don't want to abort it or miscarriage it and that's what we talked about last time. But the problem, just, just know this. Unbelief is more than just, it, it's many faceted. Some people don't believe God will hear their prayers. Because they know themselves and they know that they're far from perfect. And you know what, as I was driving down tonight, you know what came to me? Why do you suppose God in his word, which is eternal, which is going to last forever, it's never going to change. Why do you suppose he listed in there, Abraham's faults, David's faults to the degree that they were. See, these weren't just little minor minor trip-ups. These were some pretty big slip-ups that some big heavy weights of God did. You want me to tell you why I believe they're listed in here? Is to show us Elijah, you remember it says in James, he was a man subject to to like passions just like we are. But yet he prayed and shut up. The heavens or the, and the son commanded the son to stand still. He wasn't no different than you or I. You think he was perfect? No way. His heart, I'm sure, was, and hopefully your heart is. But aside from that, if you're his child, you're a candidate for him to hear an answer. You're welcome. You can come boldly to the throne of grace because you belong. God doesn't have any favorites. You know, Joseph was his father's favorite. God doesn't have any favorites, because then he'd be a respected person. So you got to believe that God, number one, loves you. God, number one, is listening to you. God, number, he he realizes what you're facing and what you need, what you have need of. So all you got to do is give it to him, and that's all he needs. And then he can take off and start working it out, right? Okay, how about the third one I want to talk to you about? And, And this, I think, gets a lot of guys here again. This is probably harder for guys than women. Is how many of you can be honest if they're going to have an hour prayer meeting, you run out of things to say in the first 15 minutes? Hello, anybody in here real? You know what I'm saying? Now, women, on the other hand, (laughs) they can go on and on and on and on. My wife is one of the most amazing prayers that I, honest to God, know. She is a prayer. And I'm telling you, when she prays, she ain't just going through the motions. She's not just doing what's a parrot prayer, just saying the same thing. No, it it comes from her heart. And I mean, she can go and go and go and go and go and go. She's worse at that than I am at teaching, if that tells you anything. So the thing about it is, though, men, yeah, I've had men admit that. I'll admit that. You know what? If I'm going to go in a room and pray for two or three hours— Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be praying in the Holy Ghost some. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and see, let me tell you guys, that's what the Holy Ghost is for. Because in, in Romans 8, 26, it says, For the Spirit knows our infirmities, and he prays through us according to the will of God. Amen. That's one of the primary purposes and benefits of being filled with the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues, because he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but unto God and then how be it in the spirit he speaks mysteries then if you couple that with 1 corinthians chapter two do that sometime and it'll tell you in there about the mysteries that you're praying that the spirit of god knows see he knows the mysteries that you need to know and if you allow him to pray through you guess what them things can unfold you aren't wasting no time when you're praying in tongues the devil will tell you you are hello He'll say it's a bunch of gibberish, jabberish, nonsense. And, and if anybody saw you, you'd be humiliated. Well, you don't need to be. Because I want to tell you something. The Apostle Paul, who was probably busier than anybody ever on known to man or in the ministry, he prayed with tongues more than all the people he was ministering to. He put an emphasis on it. And see, that takes us to another thing. What about busyness? Is that a reason a lot of people don't pray as they ought? Sure it is. It is, and we live in a very busy society. I have a very busy life that I don't particularly prefer, but it is what it is for right now, okay? But here's something the Lord showed me years ago, and I want to share it with you, and I think it'll help you. As busy as I am, and I go here and I go there and I go everywhere, Ohio, one end to the other. And you know what? The thing is, I can never get so busy that I can't prioritize filling up my gas tank when it's close to empty. And we'll let that set in. You see? Because no matter how many things I got to do, I don't care how important, how pressing, if I run out of gas and I'm stranded on I-75 out in nowhere, I ain't getting nothing done. And guess what happens if we don't take the time to prioritize prayer? You ain't getting nothing done. So, see, we have to. And don't, don't necessarily think you've got to pray for an hour for it to count. Because, see, it doesn't. You can accomplish more in a couple minutes than you can in a couple hours if you're praying the right way. Okay? See, that's another thing. Now, hey, I, I think, you know, the more you can pray, the better. But that's another thing the devil gets us in. Is, well, you may as well not even bother. If you're only going to pray for five or ten minutes, why bother? Yeah, he, he would like you to believe that. But can I tell you, five or ten minutes of prayer can do amazing things (laughs) if it's prayed from a fervent, earnest heart, okay? Now, I want you to turn to Psalm 106. We'll turn to our first scripture here, Psalm 106, and I want to read to you and point out just a couple of things that are listed here that I want to highlight. Psalm 106, let me get... My notes over here so I know which verse. We want to look at verse 13, first of all. Now, this is talking about the children of Israel, that God supernaturally led through the desert. Three million people, or I guess two or three million, some people say one, some say the other, through a wilderness, okay, supernaturally fed them, sustained them, the whole story. Now, listen to what it says. What did I just say? Verse 16? No. 13. There we go. It says... They soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. Now I want you to notice two important things in that verse. Number one is they waited not. There's a danger if you don't wait. And what are we talking about wait? We're talking about waiting on the Lord. Did you know the Bible has a whole lot to say about wait on the Lord? Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Wait upon the Lord, and and, you know, He'll give good things to those that wait upon Him. The God told me here earlier or last year with my daughter, I said, Stephanie, I said, Let me tell you something God things come to those that wait. You know, we've heard it, good things come to those that wait. Well, I got better than that. God things come to those who wait, and you know what? That's a problem. Again, the devil, you want me to tell you something? He don't want you to wait. What's He doing? Faster, faster, faster. Did you all know that the faster you go in a car, the more susceptible you are to have an accident and get hurt? Did you know it's the same way in life? The faster you go through life, once you've prayed and given something to God, you don't want to get in a hurry because God don't move like that. You you know what I'm saying? And that's so important. So wait upon the Lord. That's key. The other phrase in that verse is the counsel. They waited not for his counsel. So the Lord has counsel. And then if you look over in verse 43, notice what it says there. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with whose counsel? They provoked him with their counsel. So we got God's counsel and we got your counsel. We got God's counsel, and we got the counsel of men. We got godly counsel, we got ungodly counsel. We got worldly counsel, we got heaven counsel. Okay? And the thing is, you choose. And we all have choices, don't we? All of us. We have choices. Every day we got choices. Multitudes. If you really stop and think about it, where are you going to eat? What are you going to eat? What are you going to wear? What time are you going to leave? What store are you going to go to? Blah, 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 blah. Many, many choices, okay, in life. And can I tell you something? The busiest that life has been in our lives in this generation, we're geared to got to make quick decisions. Don't have time. Got to make it. Well, can I tell you what we're going to talk about tonight? Is there some big decisions and big deals in our lives? And boy, on them especially, you better slow down. And you better wait Amen. on the Lord. Because if you get in too big of an accident, you're going to crash. And you're going to, you're going to experience hurt, okay? And failure. And all kinds of heartaches and headaches that God doesn't want you to have. But it'll happen inevitably. So, I got to, here's a verse you can just jot down if you're taking notes. Isaiah 28, 16 says, He that believeth shall not make haste. Now think about that. If you really believe and are trusted in God, you ain't going to get in a hurry. Because you know it's in his hands. So you know, I don't have to get in a hurry. I don't have to worry because it's in his hands. But see, that's what usually haste will usually get you in trouble. Will it not? It most definitely will. Okay, so here's one I want you to turn to. Isaiah chapter 48, just a few books back here. I don't know how many of you guys have ever read this and are aware of this, but this is another one of my favorites all time in the Bible. It says in verse 17, Isaiah 48, 17, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teaches thee to profit, which leads you by the way that you should go. And then notice the next verse. Oh, if you would have just listened. Because if you would have just listened, this is my version, to my counsel, then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. And I've said every time I quote this verse, I can hear the tone of God's voice saying that. Oh, if you would have just waited. If you would have just listened and waited your outcome would have been so much different. It broke his heart. He looked out, Jesus did over Jerusalem and he wept. And he said, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you didn't realize the time of your visitation because I was coming down. God was trying to gather you like a hen does her brood and you missed it. For who knows what reason, you missed it. How many of us, you know probably the, the, the tears that's gonna be wiped away are from our eyes in heaven. You know probably one big reason for that, is when we realize how bad we missed it. <laughs> We're probably going to be sobbing, and there ain't going to be no big enough box of Kleenex to, to, to wipe them away, but God's going to wipe them away. But I, I'm seriously convinced that's, that's part of the tears, is when we get on the other side, and we realize what God wanted to do for us and through us and with us, it's going to, for a second, just overwhelm us. But again, guys, it don't have to be. It does not have to be. Everyone that asks receives. He that seeks. Is that a promise? Amen. Amen. Is God good on promises? Amen. So, now, I want you to, uh, let's, oh shoot, let's just bounce back to Psalm again. I wanted to point one more thing out there real quick. Psalm 107, and in verse 4, talking again about the children of Israel. It said, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Can you guys ever imagine, have you ever been in in a huge woods or a rainforest or a jungle or an ocean or a great lake? Go up to Lake Erie sometime and you go out in the middle. And on a foggy day, if you don't have a compass, you are in big trouble. Because you have no idea which way's which. You don't. If you're in the middle of a woods or a jungle and you don't have no sun to go by or stars, if you know how to read stars, if it's completely overcast, you're in trouble. And can I tell you something? In this life, this life can be a wilderness and then some. (laughs) Can it not? Again, we, we got so many different ways we can go, so many different paths we can take. The Bible says it's not in man to know his own way. It's not in you. You ain't smart enough. I don't care how many degrees you got. You ain't smart enough to figure out every time which direction, which choice, which way you should go. But guess who does? God. He knows it all. He's like up in the sky looking down at this maze. And here we are trying to find out our way. And we're wasting our time because we go this way. It's a dead end. You've seen him on TV. Well, God's up over here. He's got the eye in the sky. And he can just sit there and say, oh, no, nope. don't go left. Go right go straight, hang a left, he can take you. He can divinely guide you. Pastors preached on one of the most powerful lessons we as Christians can learn, divine guidance. That is unbelievably important. Unbelievably important. Did you know it can save your life? I I thought about divine guidance. Just just real quick, a minute. Just think about this. I've heard stories. I know of a pastor, a national minister, who was going to board a flight to go somewhere because he travels a lot. And he didn't get on that plane because God checked him and he said he didn't get on it. Now, what would most of us do? If we had that unction, we'd get on the plane and we'd pray and say, God, you know what? I'm here and you'd probably be in heaven. (laughs) See, I, I heard of a story. I can't remember who this was, but there was an old time preacher evangelist and he was somewhere in mountains driving up this mountain, round and around we go up the mountain. And all of a sudden he heard the Lord speak to him. To change lanes he was in the right lane and the spirit of the lord spoke to him and says get in the other lane now in the natural that would have been the most ridiculous foolish stupid thing you could possibly do because you're in the wrong lane going up a mountain you can't see what's coming around the curve but thank god this man heard and was sensitive enough and in tune enough he did it and it wasn't seconds later here comes a semi-truck completely out of control down the mountain and he would have been wiped out. Now do you wonder sometimes when we see and hear of things, tragedies happening, you suppose maybe they could have been avoided if we would have been listening and in tune and in touch? I'm just saying. It's so true. So what pastors teach you, man, in my opinion, is, is like one of the utmost important things in the life of a believer to learn. Is how to be divinely led. Now... Verse 6, Psalm 107, verse 6. Then cried they to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. You know, their messes created their distresses, and so does ours, right? How many of you know we mess up and it causes distress, right? And then verse 7, and God led them forth by the right way. You see, there's, there's God's way and there's our way. And how many of you know his is always the one that will go? Amen. Amen. Look a little verse, a few verses more. And I really want to get to the main meat message. And in verse 11, it says this. Verse 10, I'm sorry. It says, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because. Now, you know what that's describing? A prison cell. Because they rebelled against the words of God and they contemned the counsel of the Most High. That's what it'll do every time. If you go contrary to what this says, you may think that there's exceptions, but there's no exceptions. When God gives wisdom and advice and and, and that from his word, you can take it to the bank every single solitary time. It'll never change. You cannot do opposite this and expect good results. It'll never happen. Now, and, and, and the counsel of the Most High. There we have it again. God has counsel. Now, here's the one I really want to get to James. This is kind of really where it all started off as far as where I've sensed the direction I believe God wanted me to go. Is James chapter (coughs) 4, verse 13. Okay, I got King James, and it says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. What are they doing? they're making up their own counsel, right? But it says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for just a little time and then it vanishes away. Here's what you ought to do. Now, this is God's counsel. You ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. Now, I know that there's been some stuff said about, you know what? That it's incorrect to pray, God, if it's your will, let this be happen. Well, here's the thing. If God's will is expressed in his word concerning sickness, you don't have to pray, Lord, if it be your will, heal him. Right? I mean, just 101, Christianity. If God says in his will, thou shalt not covet, then don't covet. <laughs> right? So the thing I want you to see is this. Again, how many of us in this society, in this age totally blow by that and don't adhere to that how many of us make our own plans how many of us come up with our own counsel it's amazing i mean i don't know maybe i'm just just an old fuddy-duddy or whatever old school whatever but you know what i believe i believe that just like in the old testament god instructed the children of israel in great depth and detail, how to build a tabernacle that he was going to dwell in. He told him what kind of material. He told him how many cubits. He told him precise details. You read it, and you probably not get through it all because you just get ho-hum. You know what I'm saying? Because it's kind of monotonous, all the different things as far as the pillars and the this and the that and the pomegranate and all that. Well, let me ask you guys this. I've always wondered if God was so concerned about intricate details in an Old Testament tabernacle that he dwelt in, how much more interested is he in details in the New Testament tabernacle, which is you and I? How much more do you think he's interested in details? I personally think he's real detail-oriented. Do I think that he has something to say and where he wants you to live, you bet I do. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't be in Lima, Ohio. <laughs> just, I'm just being honest. And I, I look at other people, and, and I'm not judging, but I watch and I listen to other people. And ain't nobody would like to go to Florida any more than me. You understand? I would go to Florida tomorrow. If I had the Lord's blessing and my wife's blessing, I'm gone. Now that's the truth. Some people, it's Colorado, and Colorado's beautiful, and and that's okay too. But I, I like the water and I like the warmth, <laughs> and 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 the sand and it all the palm trees. I mean, it's just a good package, kind of. But guess what? I'll probably never live there because it's probably not in God's plan for my life. You see, and here's what I want you guys to understand. See, some people don't think it matters i've had christians tell me that well it doesn't matter where you go if, if you got an anointing to preach or to pastor a church it doesn't matter just so you pastor a church come on god is smarter than that because if he's got everybody just out doing their own thing can i tell you there's going to be some extreme chaos in the kingdom that, that's like, what if a person on a football team, there's 11 guys on offense and 11 guys on defense. What if everyone just does what they want to do and goes where they want to go? A quarterback goes back to pass the long bomb and the guy went out for a screen pass. It doesn't work. But that's what God's dealing with. He's saying, what in the world are you doing way down there? I need you here. You know what I'm saying? And, and see, what an impact that can make in our lives on this earth. You know, I'll share with you guys, before I got saved in high school, I was scheduled to move to Columbus, Ohio to go to Ohio State University with a friend of mine, okay? And, and I, was, I was accepted, I was good to go, until uh, teen pregnancy kind of changed gears. So that changed the whole, because let me tell you, had I went to Columbus, I really seriously doubt if I'd ever ended back in Lima. <laughs> Not with my council, I wouldn't have. <laughs> Maybe somewhere other state but it wouldn't have been back to Lima and see I was going to go with my buddy his dad was an orthodontist so I thought well that's what he's going for I'm going to room with him I may as well go for that because I guess they make pretty good money you got to do something right thank God I didn't go to Columbus to dental school because I personally have no desire never have to put my fingers in your mouth you know what I'm saying it wouldn't have flew. I wouldn't have passed all the chemistry tests, so I wouldn't have had to worry about it. But do you see what I'm saying? Where you live, what you do, you see, your occupation is not yours to decide. Amen. And, and, and again, I guarantee you, I know I'm going contrary to what a lot of people believe. Is they believe, well, God gives me the desire of my heart. Yes, he does. But he doesn't give you the lust of your flesh and he doesn't give you the mind of a man to, to, to follow your life by. And, and see, all I'm saying is, you know, here, here's another little note, observation, is I think college is great. I didn't go there myself, obviously because of what I just said. But you know what? I personally don't think it's wise for every single high school graduate to go to college. Because I've seen a bunch of them that have went because it's the right thing to do, An $80,000 student loan later, they're working at a job they didn't need a college education for. So, see, education will never hurt you if you keep it in in balance with the Word of God. But an $80,000 student loan might. You know what I'm saying? You see, it's important to find out the vocation that God wants you to be doing. I'm telling you, of utmost importance. Um... Let me just, okay, go on here. So, we, we talked about the career, okay? The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, right? You familiar with that? Psalm 127.1? 1. Here's what I personally believe. You judge it. I believe that success in life is not determined by how many millions you got, by how high up the corporate ladder you've went, by how many things that you've accomplished and achieved, how many awards, how many certificates, and all this, and recognition, and all that, I truly believe that a truly successful life is a person that has found the purpose of God for their life and fulfilled it. Amen. You're right. that's, that's a successful life. And anything less is unsuccessful. Amen. It's the truth. And it, and it applies to all of us, guys, and I'm not... I'm not saying this in a manner like, hey, I got it all figured out, but I'm just telling you, I got this much figured out, this makes sense, (laughs) what I'm telling you, it makes a whole lot of God sense, okay? Now, how about this? How about a spouse? Do you think it's pretty important of who you get connected with since it's going to be for life till you part? I think so, but you know what? Just, just observing. I've been around this for 37 years. I've been a Christian. And I've observed that a lot of single people ain't following that advice. And you know what? God looks on the heart. I'm sorry. Yes, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on what? The heart. And let me tell you, my wife and I was listening to John and Lisa Bevere on a little, uh, what do you call it, YouTube video. Back weeks ago. And they said something that was pretty good. And they was talking about marriage. And they said, you know what? Unfortunately, too many people make their decision based on looking at the outward appearance. And they're attracted to it. And I, I think you need to be attracted to who you marry and what one's man's junks another man's treasure. Am I right? Am I right? It's the truth. You see, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Thank God my wife was blind. Amen? But here, I'm just telling you, the problem with it is, is I'm, I know for a fact, that when person gets put in a single position for whatever reason, they're on the hunt. And you know what? They're the one directing the strategy to get their game. It's just the truth. And, you know, I can say some other things, but we're going to move on here to get, get through it. But, but here's what I want to say this. I think that passion, and that's what actually John and Lisa Bevere said. They said, you know what? People put so much emphasis on sexual attraction. Okay? And that's all right. Nothing wrong with that. God created man and woman, and it's, it's all good and it's all important. But they pointed out that intimacy... In the bedroom is for minutes. Life is for hours. They didn't say it in that words, but that was the gist of what they were saying. And, and here's the thing. If you marry exclusively for that reason, you're going to have a lot of long, long, long hours. You know what I'm saying? Them hours are going to turn into days, and those days are going to seem like weeks, and it's going to, wow. It's going to seem like you're living in eternity on this earth. If that's the basis of what you married, Was strictly outward appearance and you didn't gel and connect with hearts and passion being the same? See, I got a wife that's got the same heart as I got. And I ain't trading that. Because to me, that's all important. She's got the same passion that I got, the same God interest. I mean, Christian couples, think about it, and and every Christian couple, there's not a wrinkle-free relationship. Did y'all know that? every relationship there's no perfect marriage every relationship you got to steam up the iron and get out the wrinkles okay so we all know that we're not there's no such thing as a perfect marriage and if you're single thinking you're going to get one hello you're in for a big surprise because it ain't happening because it ain't available just like there ain't no perfect church if you're looking for one you're going to be looking till jesus comes because there ain't one okay but here's what i want you to get is if you're looking on the outward, this came to me too on the way down here, just driving from Lima to here. Do you know what they say about a brand new car? As soon as you drive it off the lot, what? It depreciates. Can I tell you all something? The day that you said I do to your spouse, that body of theirs began to depreciate. It's the truth. If you think about it, And you know another thing I've heard and can apply? How many of you ever heard that a person that buys a boat enjoys it for two days? You've heard this? What was those two days? The day they buy it it and the day they sell it. And can I tell you something? There's way too many marriages, even Christian, that if they're honest, there's two good days. The honeymoon and the last day in divorce court. Guys, just is it okay to be real and to keep it real? Because i have always a big believer in that. Let's keep it real. And it's the truth. And it don't have to be that way. Now here's what brought me to that. Is you know what? If you guys are both Christians in your marriage, the devil's going to come and throw everything he can at you at the kitchen sink. And he's going to try to stir stink. He's going to try to divide. He's going to try and all that stuff. But I want to tell you something. If you both love Jesus... What better thing in common can you have than that? Seriously, you think about that. You can build on that alone. You both love Jesus. She may not like to fish. You may love it. She may like to shop and you may hate it. But if you both love Jesus, build on that and find something else you can build on. Whatever. Compromise. Go fishing in Bass Pro Shop or something. I don't know. Do something. Do something. But, but it's the truth. It's, it's the truth. And so here's, here's what I want to correlate. little thing God just showed me. Marriage is kind of like a brand new car. When you purchase a new motor vehicle. You all know, if anybody's ever went and bought a new vehicle, brand new vehicle, you know that smell, right? And it smells like nothing else. You can't compare it to nothing else. It's that new car smell. How many of you know, after so many months... That smell ain't in there no more. After maybe six months, it's gone. And you know what? Same way with marriage. Just a little mini marriage clip here. After six months, maybe your marriage, the zing and the zang and the whatever is gone. And then you guess what? You just begin to drive that nice car that God blessed you with and you begin to take all those nice amenities that's in that car for granted and you just drive it for years and years and years. You put wear and tear on it for years and years and years. Right? And that's the second stage. So you got the new car smell for so many months, then you go to that second stage, which is several years, and then you know what the third stage is? Trade-in time. Trade-in time. And you know it's time to trade in that car because you're not excited about it no more. It don't have that new car smell. It's got a lot of miles on it, right? Am I preaching the truth? And guess what? The devil will tell you, you want to trade in. You want to trade in. You want to trade, you know, that 60-year-old for two 30-year-olds, right? And keep it balanced and keep it the same. He'll tell you that. Now, you know what that is? That's carnality. No pun intended. You didn't catch that. That's carnality. And I'm telling, as a Christian, don't believe that lie. You know what? My wife's 54 years old, and I ain't trading her for two 30, 27-year-olds. I'm not doing it because I know I got a good thing. I know I got a good thing. And he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, you, on the other hand, may look at your wife and say, well, you glad you do because I don't. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you something that God gave me last night laying in bed is I I build garages and I sell garages, a lot of you know, and all up and down Ohio and I see all kinds of people and I meet all kinds of guys and you know what I see a lot of? Guys that have these 1940s and 1950s vehicles that they're building this $30,000 garage to put in (laughs) and these guys, I mean, their chest is out and there's a twinkle in their eye. They say, you got time to see something? and they want me to see their classic car, okay? I'm not a car guy, I really don't care. But some of them are impressive. Some of them, you see a 1947 Ford and it's got chrome and it's clean, it's impressive. And here's what I wanna point out to you, is you know what? A 1947 Ford, if it's not been refurbished, isn't gonna look very good. You know what I'm saying? If it hasn't been getting tender love and care and wax jobs and cleaning it and all this, that, and the other, replacing parts and all this, it ain't going to be very appealing. But to the guy who restores old cars, you can take the same year, the same model, and look on the other side of the garage, one against another, and you say, whew, that's sharp. That is sharp. So you see, here's what I believe the Lord wanted me to say. Who's responsible for the one looking so good and the other one looking not so good? Is it the car's fault? Whose fault? The owner. It's the owner. Is that your spouse? If she ain't all that appealable, guess who might be at fault? Because ain't no car does itself, renovates itself, restores itself. Ain't no car can do it by itself, but the owner can, and if the owner does. So see, I'm saying that to say something to wrap this whole thing up, because there's a real important lesson here you want to learn about prayer and being led to God, and we're going to have to kick it into fifth gear here. All right, listen to this. I think we've said enough about that, hopefully. My house, let me say the same thing about my house. I ain't trading my wife for two 27-year-olds, and I'm not going to trade my house for one, twice its value that can be brand new. Mine's 56 years old, but guess what? I love my house. It's in an established neighborhood. I got a lot of nice trees, and I look out my back window and I see a 14-acre nice little pond that I like. And if you're gonna give me twice the value home with other homes crammed right up on top of me and no trees and no lake, I ain't interested. I'll just keep what I got, and that's the truth. So you see, newer is is not always better. That's what I'm saying. But the devil will tell you it is. But see, learn what you got. That guy that has that 47 Ford, he knows what he's got. You may not know what he's got. It might blow you away if you knew what that's worth. And same way with your spouse, you may not know what you got. But if you ever realize how valuable they are, you might refurbish them a little bit more often. Okay, all right. Everybody okay? All right. How about once you're married, does God have any particular house that he would want you to live in? Any particular neighborhood? Any particular school district? Yep. I'll go along with that. I think he does. Because let me tell you, God knows the best deal. You know what? The house that we live in, we've lived there for about 13 years and love it. And you know what? That, our eye was on that. That we said if we ever moved from where we was at, it would be to that house on the other side of the road, that house. Now, it's an old house. But there was a one-time owner that owned it. He built it, had it built. It was a doctor, an orthodontist of all things. <laughs> Maybe I, see, I was picking up orthodontist. I just was missing it a little bit. But you know what? This man died. And... We got word that the sign's in the yard. And boy, we was about a week late before we found out about it. And there's all kinds of people went through this. I mean, lots of people went through this. Lots of business people went through this. And we were scheduled to go see it on a particular Sunday afternoon. And when we we got there at two o'clock or whatever it was, the realtor wasn't there. But guess who was there? The 80-year-old woman, widow. She was there. And guess who got a personal tour? And guess who got to meet her? And guess who God got to give favor with to her? You see where I'm going? And guess what? There was still all kinds of people coming and going, interested in this house, looking through this house. And you know what? We put in a bid. And I said, I'm not, I'm not paying what they're asking. Put in a bid. They countered. Not going there. Put in another bid. They countered. Then guess what? The third time, we decided this is our final bid. We're gonna put this in and we really would like to have this house, but if it don't happen, it wasn't meant to happen. And that's it. So we put in the final offer. The realtor I got to know prior to this, the head guy that owns the realty company, he shared with me exclusive information that the the, the lady told him, she says, you know what? If nobody puts in an offer today, I'm gonna let Mike and Rita have it. And guess what? She was a woman of her word. She gave us the house, and guess what? The very next day, there was a real well-known businessman that was prepared to put in his opening bid, which was higher than our last bid, but he was a dollar late and a minute too short. See, that's a God gift. And see, that means something to me. Bill's seen it. He's put the fireplace in refurbished it. We had to refurbish a lot. Pastor Phyllis has seen it. It, it's, it, it's an older house. It still needs a little bit more refurbishment. But guess what? It's my God house. It's my God house. And guess what my wife is? She's my God girl. And so you see, when you get God gifts, you don't just take them lightly. You want to value them, put a value on them. Okay. Now, can we go on? So the, the neighborhood you live in, you know why it's so important, the neighborhood you live in? Because if you got kids, them neighborhood kids... Those school kids that they go to school with, whether you know it or not, can can form and fashion your kids. Now, you're well-rooted and grounded in God. They may not be. Huge importance. How about church? You think God has a particular church he wants you to attend? Oh, a lot of Christians don't because they're just going where they want to go. But does God have a purposeful church in mind that you fit in and where he wants you at? And when he calls on you, you say, they're down in Florida. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so can we get detailed? Can we, can we talk about does God really care what color your house is? Does God really care what your furniture is? Does God care what car, car you drive? Does he care what kind of car you drive? Other than the fact he'd like to give you a little bit of wisdom of maybe setting a price spending limit, I don't think he cares. If you're happy, he's happy. If you like your room bright red, he's good with that. It reminds him of the blood of Jesus. You know, if, if you like this color car, if you like that, I don't think God gets all caught up in that. But there's other things. Clothes. Does God care what kind of clothes you wear? Only if you're clannily scad or what, you know what I'm saying? If you're buying dresses for half off and you're proud of it, but you find the reason that you're buying them for half off because they only got half the material and half the buttons that a normal dress should have, you might want to be praying and asking God about that. True? That's a big deal to God. He, does, he wants everything done in modesty. Okay? And that's a whole lot can be said on that. Food, drink. What about, does God care what you eat or drink? Hey, you can go have at it. Every creature of God's good, nothing to be refused if it be received with prayer and thanksgiving. But you know what? If you're eating fast food three meals a day, seven days a week, if you ask Him, He might want to tell you, you might not want to keep doing that. True? And if, if, if you'll listen to God, there might be some things that He'll lead you to eat or not to eat. I remember a pastor that I, not a pastor, he was a teacher, a national known teacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I met one time. His wife was paralyzed in a wheelchair through I forget what. Just one day, I think, it was just that way. Half of her body was completely paralyzed in a wheelchair. This is a man of faith, and I mean, they believed God. They played the Word of God 24-7 on tape, and everything, and no manifestation. And one day, after weeks and months, God just put in her heart, one day when they went to the supermarket to get this particular kind of fruit, I believe it was. I don't know if it was a jackfruit. I don't know what it was, but they felt inspired to God to begin eating this one particular fruit. And you know what? It wasn't no time. Her condition was cleared up. Yeah. Nasser Siddiqui was the, was the teacher's name that you could probably Google it and find a testimony. You know what? My wife hasn't drank pop for years and years and years, nor has my daughter for a couple of years. Probably a smart thing. I'll still have it occasionally, but I can just have it occasionally and there's no big deal. I don't have to have one every day. And that... But there's other things that God put on my heart. I've been taking garlic pills for probably 20 years or so. I just felt impressed to take garlic pills back 25 years ago. V, you know, it's a health drink. I, I didn't just do that for the money like a lot of people did. I, I believed in the product, and I still drink it to this day. I have nothing to do with the business. It's, it's a high antioxidant beverage. Antioxidants are important to your body. Now, I know that if you've got such faith that you can pray over McDonald's Big Mac and have it turn into a healthy salad all I'm encouraging you to do is won't you start just filling up your gas tank with water from your water hose and if Jesus turned the water into wine why can't he turn water into gas I think there might be a little bit of wisdom connected to what we put in our bodies more than what sometimes think so I gotta quit but I want to I'm going to close with this because this is the important thing that I really was going to end on Going back to the marriage thing even. Because what do you do in a situation like Pastor and Phyllis? They got married. They weren't either one saved. Did the devil ever tell you Pastor Phyllis early on? You can can leave him because you wasn't even saved when you got married. Did he ever try to tell you that? Yeah. And see, he'll do that. So here's what will happen. There's a story in the Bible that we're not going to go to, but if, if just because two wrongs don't make a right, I'll just say it that way. You know what? Maybe you and your wife just got together on your own counsel and God didn't have nothing to do with it, but can I tell you God's counsel now, stay together, Amen. stay together, because you may look at this 1940 marriage that's on the rocks and a shambles, but can I tell you something? God is in the restoration business, Amen. and he can take a 46 Ford that looks like junk, like Fred Clampett or whatever, Fred Sanford, and he can make it something beautiful. He can do that and there's no exceptions. And anything else in your life, has anybody made a mess in any area of your life that you'd like to go back and redo? We all have. Guess what? There's a a story in the Bible that says the children of Israel were supposed to go up and take enemies and kill a nation They didn't do it. They was afraid. They talked themselves out of it. They listened to their own counsel. Then after they was rebuked and they realized they missed it big time, they thought, oh, well, okay, we're sorry. We're going to go up now and do it. God says, tell them don't do it because they're going to to regret it. Moses, tell them. It's not the right time to go now. That, That passed. They went ahead and did it. You know the story? They were slaughtered. So you see, God always has a new blueprint drawn up. That's how I say it. You mess the original blueprint up. We all have, we all do. God can real quick put another one together real fast. Considering current situations in our lives. He can undo the, the, the bird's nest. You ever, pastor, tell you, fishing line gets all tangled up and it's called a bird's nest. And sometimes you just can't untangle it. You just got to cut it and throw it away. God can untangle every bird's nest in our life. Amen? And guess how he does it? Prayer. Inviting and including and releasing and humbling yourself, having your eyes on him, trusting in him, acknowledging him in your situation. He can work it out. He can restore anything and everything. Amen. All right, guys. So... We're going to quit, but I, I, I'm trusting you got the gist of it. Amen? How many times do you want to pray? Every day, every day. All the time. The Bible says pray without ceasing. You think, how can I do that? I'll let you in on a clue. I heard Smith Wigglesworth very seldom ever prayed more than 15 minutes at a time, but he very seldom ever went more than 15 minutes without praying. Wow. That's what I thought. That's praying without ceasing. Wow. That's what that is. That's being in a constant maintained state of God's presence. There's an old book written older than that song we sang tonight. And it's called Practicing the Presence of God. You ever heard of it, any of you? Who's wrote it, Bill? Brother, brother Lawrence or, I don't know. Practicing the Presence of God. It's a little small book. Bro, I think, I don't know. Brother Lawrence or Brother Somebody. Whew, that's powerful. That's how we do it all right, got to shut up, got to release you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you and we end in prayer. We talked about prayer, we end in prayer, Father. And our prayer is that we'll get it. God, let this soak down in our good ground of our hearts. May the Holy Spirit refresh and remind us of every day, the importance of praying about everything, God, everything. Nothing's too small. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that we think are little that make a big difference. So help us to discipline ourselves, Father, and to come to you, to not have undue stress and heartache, to not forfeit peace, but help us to walk in victory, joy, and peace that you desire for every one of your children. Help us to just persevere, God. It's not always gonna go like we think. There's other stories that we could tell that it, it, it doesn't go necessarily the way we think, when we think, how we think, it doesn't matter. You know, you're all knowing God. And so Father, we just pray tonight for wisdom for every person under the sound of this message, God, live streaming and present. God, I pray in the name of Jesus for them that they will begin to prioritize prayer just like putting gas in their tank. We can't get too busy to not do that. Help us, God. Help us to just look to you, seek you, trust you, cast our cares on you. Help us, God, to know what you want us to do. Help us always acknowledge you before we make any major decision. And Father, we thank you that you're a good God. You're an all-wise God. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen.